Welcome to Illness with Influence, a brand new series from Have a Cuppa Unmasked, the podcast dedicated to raising awareness of invisible illnesses. This series, I talk to guests who have become champions of their own industries, but all with one thing in common, an invisible illness, showing you it can be done. All is not lost. You can still achieve your dreams. Come on, let's raise inspiration, not stigma. So sit back, grab a cuppa and get ready to be inspired. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Illness with Influence. And today I am very honoured and excited to welcome to you the wonderful, the incredible Nick Elston. Hi, how are you doing? Wow, what a build up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to take you everywhere that I speak now just to give me the build-up to walk on. Um, yeah, I'm great, thanks very much. And, and in the spirit of honesty, as I like to maintain, was aided by coffee this morning. It's been a full-on period. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I'm all good and delighted <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Well, you know, we'll get we'll let the coffee go through. I've had a lot of tea this morning, so we <laughs> yeah. are caffeine-filled caffeine and ready to go. So would you like to introduce yourself for everyone who... I don't know how they wouldn't have heard of you, but anyone who hasn't heard of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so th- thank you. My name is Nick Elston. Uh, I'm an inspirational speaker on the lived experience of mental health. Now, firstly, yes, it's a job. Um, <laughs> it's been my job for uh, five, six years now, sharing my experiences of mental illness and mental health um, to try to increase engagement in mental health and well-being initiatives that are in place already. So I'm not solution focused. I'm not a fix in any way, shape or form. Um, but for me, the gap is in the engagement. So I work with brands such as KFC, American Express, Harvey Nichols, Posh Lad, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, helping their people to engage in, in the stuff they have in place already. So I, I, I certainly feel that a lot of people in life are waiting for permission to do a lot of things and mm. reaching out for help is one of those things. Mm. Um, and then with my other cap on, literally because it's kind of my thing you do love um, a cap <laughs> i do love a cap i'm a i'm a transformational speaking coach now i'm not presentation skills i'm not voice coaching all i do is focus on the sole principle of emotional storytelling mm. how do we um deliver a story with with clarity and power and emotion um because i feel that if we're not truly being heard in life in business and education we're never really tr- truly living a life on our terms so I help people to tell their stories to their audiences as well. Which I love. And I'm sure that there are many people listening to this going, oh, well, that's great, but I don't have a story. Like My, my life is very average. <laughs> I just, you know, grew up and went to school, went to uni, got a job, and that's my life. But that's so wrong, isn't it? There's, everyone's oh, got absolutely. their own story. I mean, I, I was uh, very fortunate that you, you uh, accepted my invitation to come along as my yes. VIP guest last week. And um, as you could tell, the amount of people that said, well, I haven't really got a story, but yeah, and then they but. drop a big story in. <laughs> yes. or, but, and I think it's because once we've been through any experiences in, in life or even in business come to that, um, once we carry that experience for so long, we just take it as the norm. We, yeah. we forget what we know and what we've experienced. Um, and... I kind of liken it to a car boot cell. Like, your crap, your junk is going to be somebody else's gold. That's the stuff yeah. that they really hunt out for. And 
and that's what I feel that the world is missing a lot is that once we decide to share our own experiences because we believe we're unique and we're absolutely not once we start to share our experiences people will find inspiration and education and insights from what we have to speak about yeah exactly but you and know in, that you yeah, know that <laughs> but in turn in turn it will help other people as well won't it you know exactly why i mean that's partly why i set up this podcast is because you mm. know coming from an experience of eight autoimmune conditions that i live with on a day-to-day wow. basis and more being diagnosed literally as we speak um it's it's one of those things where as a 26 year old i thought well Okay, it's, you know, I've, I literally thought I was the only person in the world that had <laughs> this experience. And then I woke up one day and just thought, get your head out your bum, Helena. No, you're not the only person that's going through this in the whole entire world. Don't be ridiculous. Yes, okay, it might not be the exact same. Oh, we're back. We're back. Uh, You're yeah. back, yeah. <laughs> it might not be the exact same specific uh, to the... My thing is deciding to go all over the place. There we go. Right. It is back. <laughs> I'm again not going to touch anything. See, this is... This is building a story. <laughs> building a story. Here we go. Um, it's not the exact same circumstances, but, you know, people enjoy hearing other people's stories and through this podcast I've spoken to so many incredible people who yes don't have exactly the same story as me but I can relate to and I've gained a lot from talking to people and actually this podcast has really helped me through this time as well as all the other people that I know it has helped because so many people have very kindly reached out but going back to your own experience let's talk about Nick let's talk about you what (laughs) What kind of, in a sense, qualified you to be in this position? <laughs> so, do you know what? You touched on something really important there, that, that absolutely this is still my therapy space, um, talking about things that happen even today. Mm. Uh, and I'll do the same in front of an audience of thousands. That I will talk and make some uh, kind of organisers and HR leaders really nervous, but <laughs> I will talk about stuff that really happens now because of what, you, what we all want is community. Yeah. Um, and like you said... But the thing that we all fear is vulnerability. So therefore, that when we start to let go of that and we do share our, as you said, your exact set of circumstances. Now, okay, actually, you may be on the more extreme end of that, but there will be people going through that somewhere in the world. And if you release that message out into the world, you will find them. And mm-hmm. and I guess that's exactly kind of what started off my kind of experiences. I had I had mental illness as a, as a child. I had obsessive compulsive disorder or mm-hmm. OCD. And uh, I'm 43 now. So like back in the day, the, the treatment for OCD was not the, what it is now. The solutions yeah. were not in place. Yeah. The awareness was not as high. So because it went largely kind of untreated, then um, it morphed into something called generalized anxiety disorder or GAD, where you consistently run on high anxiety, high nervous energy. Um, and again, I've built a reputation as a speaker saying things about the lived experience angle that maybe solution focused people are afraid to say mm. uh, and because people need to see the reality of what i live through what you live through and yeah um and that's our responsibility i think so the that reality is you can be really highly successful highly functioning highly performing as a highly anxious person 
Yeah. So through education, I went completely off the radar because I was head prefect in every school, top grades in every school. Mm. Um, I was in every clique because I learned very early on that people pleasing was a fantastically effective mechanism. Yeah. Utterly destructive, but fantastically yep. effective. <laughs> Um, and I took that kind of that kind of ecosystem that I created for survival into my corporate life, um, consistently running on high anxiety, uh, consistently then running at a state of burnout. And then in mm. 2012, uh, I had a breakdown um, outside of a Premier Inn in Somerset. Classy guy. Uh, <laughs> choose your breakdowns well. Um, if I knew I was talking about this stuff for a living now, we'd go with Hilton or someone more exclusive yeah. and got a deal out of it or something. But it is what it is. Lenny Henry was nowhere to be seen when I needed him as well. It's all <laughs> over the place of Premier Inn on telly. But, um, so I left that kind of meeting. It was a business networking meeting. And I left that meeting and I sat in the car and um, I basically just shut down. And wow. without getting too dark about this, it's either going to consume me or I had to let it out. I'd lost hope or the hope of something better. Yeah. Um, I felt that things were never going to change. Looking back, I wasn't really doing anything to change them, if I'm being honest. Right. Um, because we get consumed and, and everything gets tainted by what we experience. Mm. Um, whether that be relationships or life or business or whatever that may be. I was constantly masking myself. So I was trying to be what people wanted to see in me. Yeah. I was trying to be what situations demanded of me, but I sure did damn sure myself. Mm. Um Mm. and it, I just there was so many things that I kind of fallen into that it just was not in a good place and that's what it felt like for me so I broke down at that point um I couldn't move for two or three hours um I sobbing crying um but actually the weirdest thing was not feeling pain um oh, wow. or, or anger the weirdest thing was feeling absolutely nothing at all um mm. it was kind of like living under a haze because to cut off feeling the hate and the negative and the fear, you cut off feeling the love and the good and everything else. And you can't have one without the other. So actually the worst thing in life, I think, is feeling absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. And that's kind of why I try and catch people now, is the people that feel that they're lost. I hear that word a lot. Yeah. Um, but then as a non-solution focused person, getting them to a position of help. Now, two weeks after that incident, I went back to the same meeting and, and for the first time ever, I, I shared what happened two weeks before but also about my mental illness and mental health in, mm. in a what is a traditionally professional environment and and that day changed everything for me because everybody in the room queued up to give me their support everybody in that wow. room queued up to give me a big hug I love hugs it's 20 old stone a hug in power gun missing in lockdown here and, <laughs> and and the third thing that changed my life forever was this it was suddenly it wasn't about me anymore and I think this is where where it comes back full circles, what we've been talking about. Mm. We can either let our story own us and define us for the rest of our days, yeah. or actually we can choose for it to forge something better. We can start to own our stories and roll out the value of our experiences to other people. Yeah. Um, and other people then, weirdly, people I've known for years started, once you give people the absolute truth, when you give people vulnerability, when you give people authenticity, people will open up right back to you. So people that are known for years started sharing their experiences of all the other taboo things we don't talk about, yeah. like mental illness, like yeah. racism or sexuality or gender, mm. all these kind of different things. And uh, and that's that's what started it. And the rooms got bigger, the audiences got bigger. I started traveling the world speaking about this stuff. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. Well, I mean, that's an incredible story. And there's so many people listening here who would be like, wow. That's just so brave, so insane, and just beautiful <laughs> all at word, the same actually. time. It's insane yet beautiful. But pretty much sums up how I feel. Exactly. <laughs> but the the thing that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, and 
you might not necessarily get asked quite a lot is that sounds great but mm-hmm. how does the everyday joe blogs which is what people like myself think we are how do we get to that position because it sounds the way you've put it makes it sound so easy and so you know empowering and and just yeah let's do it let's take on the world sort of thing <laughs> but in reality opening your mouth to say hey this is me is so hard and being able to create that space for other people around you whether they're brand new to you or whether you've known them years to open up as well is i mean i don't know if this is the right word or not but to me it seems like a skill to be able to create that environment so how how do people listening to this today start to get their the right headspace to be okay. in that position to feel confident and comfortable to open up bearing in mind all the stigma and labels and all of that that is attached to a lot of mental health and chronic health conditions yeah i think amazing question thank you and it's one of the things that really led me to to, to setting up the, the speaking academy back in mm. 2018 whenever it was um that I was seeing that a lot that, again, as I mentioned right at the beginning, people are kind of waiting for permission to do stuff and mm. uh, they'll be inspired by something and then actually, but in reality, it's then what, what you do next that counts. It's kind of like going to a gym once and expecting to get fit. It doesn't kind of work that way. I've tried yeah. that, by the way. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, the safe space is the most important part, um, but not just safe. I think it's about non-judgmental. I also think that we need to break it down and remove the barriers. We need to take the bits away. So I kind of work on the process of, um, and there's different terms for it, marginal gains is one, or daily incremental consistent changes, little tweaks you can make every day. Um, Mm. Japanese have the art of Kaizen, which is an old American workplace methodology, which is about breaking down kind of these things and slowly pushing yourself out of your comfort zone enough that you don't actually realize day to day. But bigger picture, you make a, a big change. Or you go the other way, which is the the environment I created was to have a a limited number of people in a cohort that are all there with the same um, desire and the same insecurity and vulnerability and immerse them for a day to see what potentially it could look like if they were were able to to potentially share a message or an opinion for the first time ever. So it's it's interesting. You you say uh, you you see it as a skill. it's a weird one, actually, because I, I I try not to, well, not try to, I can't label what I do in that space. All I know that it works. Mm, and mm. I know it's it's the kind of the closest thing I get to, to euphoria in that sense, um, is seeing somebody flourish in the space yeah. of six hours. Um, or... Or kind of really kind of putting across to them that the, the, that kind of point that wherever you want to go with delivering your message, it doesn't have to be on stage. I mean, yeah. I, I, I certainly I love being in front of a live audience. I love riffing with my own content, and uh, I love that. And, and actually, again, it's a very very much a euphoric moment. But not everybody wants to do that. Sometimes yeah. you can use things like anonymous blogging, or you can do yeah. podcasts, or you can do vlogs, or whatever you want to do with that. But I think it needs to start with this. Uh, kind of really directly answering your question is sit down start to write the story of your life but Mm -hmm. from an audience perspective from a third party perspective 
So what would people want to learn or about your experiences? What value can you give them? What inspiration could you give them? What I know from my kind of firsthand experiences that my most exciting times now would not have happened without my biggest challenges. And in the spirit of honesty, there's not one week goes by where I don't want to press the eject button and, yes. and not do this anymore. Yeah. Um, because it, it just takes so much energy to to I'm continually living outside my comfort zone. Yeah. So I need to take my own advice and I need to recover and I need to do all the things that I kind of preach, I guess. Um, but knowing that this is not Hallelujah's Cured, I manage my stuff daily to varying degrees of success. Um, <laughs> and I have kind of mechanisms and playbooks in place to manage that state more effectively. But I think even recognizing that and hearing that from somebody who's doing this as like professionally and actually out there doing this all the time, that I still get, well, every week, there's not one moment I don't want to stop. I love that. I love that. And that's so true as well, isn't it? It's, mm. I, I'm sure that everyone here can relate to that that you know whether they want to call it imposter syndrome whatever they want to call it that moment where you 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 doubt yourself and you go oh I can't do this I'm not qualified for it I can't do it uh no I'm just people are gonna think that I'm stupid I'm going bye I'm gonna go high um but I mean in terms of let's take it back pre-breakdown um, you you say that you know you you lived with uh, mental health conditions from a young age. Was that something yeah. that was diagnosed quite young? How did that come about? Like, were you aware of it? Talk us through that. Yeah. So um, the the OCD um, uh, apparently because uh, there's certain parts that I obviously don't remember that mm. apparently this came from witnessing a, a family accident when I was young. Um, and it's, that's an interesting thing, actually, that I found that with speaking to a lot of people with OCDs, especially, but certainly other mental illness conditions, that it's kind of like a safety mechanism gone wrong. So yeah. you, you try to control the uncontrollable. Um, mm. And with OCD, especially if, if kind of your listeners aren't familiar with OCD, it's kind of where you have to do a series of rituals or the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of an outcome which will happen. So for me, if I didn't check gas switches in sets of three, or locks in sets of three, or light switches in sets of three, then I would kill my family. And, and that's, mm -hmm. I mean, and that's irrational and dramatic as that is. Mm. Um, and that was like, and, and I was seven, and, and that's wow. when I had counselling. Wow. So, um, but as I said, at the time, the, the, the treatment for OCD was just eight weeks of talking therapy. Now, yeah. I love talking therapy. I think it's an amazing thing. And the reason why nobody can book me after two o'clock every Friday is because that's when I have my therapy. That's when I have my mm. counselling. Mm. Um, and I still use it very proactively because it kind of helps me to have that neutral space. Yeah. I, I do yeah. practice what I preach in that sense. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it looks. But because the solutions weren't in place at the time as they would be now, um, as I got older, like I said, I, I started to uh, morph into generalised anxiety disorder and mm. uh, but that's that's the weird one because statistically that's more common but less commonly known. Yeah. But also yeah. it it also is weirdly it hides because you wouldn't necessarily label it as anxiety by the kind of the truest definition of the word that we all kind of understand. Yes. So yeah. things like if you constantly ruminate on past relationships, past mistakes, past events and you replay that with feelings of guilt and anxiety and it goes on loop, that's generalised anxiety. Mm. Um, you, If you, you constantly seek your accountability or worth and your value in the pursuit of other material objects or the opinions or feedback or, or security from other people, that's generalised anxiety. So 
to the extent where if you haven't got something to be anxious about, you kind of actively find something. You yes. feel like you've missed missed something out, so you, yeah. you find something to be anxious about. And I know, I mean, even up until re- kind of recent years, I guess, it's um, when I was kind of addressing this going back a few years now that um, my wife would notice that, that I would, I would kind of, everything I was worried about, if something suddenly was stopped, I would mm. it would automatically shift onto something else. Right. Um, right. So you constantly stay on that hamster wheel of anxiety. And, and yeah. I think that's where sustained periods of that. And I think we've all experienced that over the past 14, 15 yes. months where yes. we're forced back into survival mode. And for me, it, it's sadly, it's kind of um, kind of where we are with things like burnout are rife. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I want to try and, again, get my message out to as many people as possible so that yeah. they don't get to that point of, of breakdown. Because it almost feels like, um, I, I I guess it almost feels like that's a comfort, it's a comfort blanket. It's the only thing you know. You don't necessarily enjoy it and you don't want to be in it, but you almost feel like you can't get out of it. Is it that sort of feeling? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that we all do this to a certain degree, but we always try to control the uncontrollable. Mm. And But the, the real, I mean, there's the so many kind of like human flaws Um that the pursuit of trying to control something you cannot control will only create extra anxiety. Mm. Uh, you cannot control people, what they say, what they do. All we have control over is how we proactively choose to go into each and every day. But the, the kind of the sick and twisted thing is the first thing we sacrifice when we struggle with our mental health is choice. We mm. give away the only tool we have um, and we start to go with the ebb and flow of life. And I think for, for us, we try to control the things that could blindside us. And as you know, the experiences you've had and have right now, um, they're the things you cannot control. They're still mm. going to blindside you. Mm. So absolutely focusing on that. It's what Dave Peltzer called living in daytight compartments. Right. For me, anxiety lived in the past, constant regret. Uh, yeah. It lived in the future, constant uh, catastrophization. Actually, today, okay, throw anything you've got at me, I'll pretty much deal with it. And I think if we take that mentality day on day, we start to break it down into manageable chunks. Mm, yeah and I mean in terms of that as well because kind of putting in a little bit of my own experience here as well there is very much a um I definitely went through a phase of going oh okay you know oh another condition laugh it off oh (laughs) funny I'm hogging them all you know and (laughs) making light of it because that's how I coped comedy was how I coped Mm. and and then brushing it off and almost putting it under the carpet and going, right, I'm just going to carry on living my life because I don't want it to affect me. I don't want it to control me. And I I was very much in my mind thinking, oh, I'm not ignoring it. I'm acknowledging it, but I'm just not letting it take over. And actually now, oh, literally over the past month or so, I found myself getting incredibly frustrated and angry at my situation. Mm. And that's something that I've never really allowed myself to do before because I felt like it was a selfish thing to do to be frustrated or angry or it was very sort of (laughs) woe is me and all of that did you ever feel that when uh, sort of pre the breakdown with all of everything that you were going through especially from such a young age did you ever feel that sort of for goodness sake like why why me what have I done to deserve this why can't I just be and I hate to use this term, but normal. Why can't I be like yeah, yeah. so and so? And then you start comparing yourself. Did you ever have that? 
I think up until, weirdly, that I was so passive. I was so much of a, a kind of a, a people pleaser that maybe mm. even up until, maybe even recent years, if I'm honest, that um, that I wouldn't allow myself because I'll be, I'll be constantly putting everybody else first. And if everybody yeah. else is okay, I'll be okay yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, actually spirit of honesty i think the reason why certainly i wanted to kind of kind of get more help this year was because actually i was finding that anger and frustration coming through yeah i think whereas kind of my my challenges are are certainly manageable now yeah um, a lot a lot of the kind of the obsessive compulsive traits unless i'm at a really low energy they're kind of because they're kind of like um indiana jeng's kind of mining cart tracks are always yeah. there dusty and cobwebbed yeah. but you can always fall back onto them um so it, I focus on the energy, but I think for me, it's recognizing that that's coming out about really, it's about lost time. I yeah. feel a bit kind of robbed that way, I guess. Um, so mine's more in hindsight. And so it's really interesting that it is healthy to express the anger. I mean, as you saw last week, one of the arounds that we do with the day is is give us a minute on something that makes you angry and people yeah. go, oh, I could never do that. And then yeah. suddenly you've got rage coming out yeah. about everything. <laughs> people just want a space to be able to do that. I mean, that, yeah. that's why I always recommend, I think counselling and therapy is a very, yeah. very proactive. I do a lot of work in the US and over there it's kind of second nature to have a therapist and they actually look at you weird if you don't have one actually, yeah. which, yeah, is, yeah, which yeah. is an interesting twist. Um, so, so different I to think, the UK. <laughs> well, this is it. And I think because I do deliver my stuff globally, I've got a real kind of 4D perspective on where we are in terms yeah. of mental health. And generationally and culturally, um, I, I mean, even yourself in your 20s, you will have had an element of um feeling guilty when we put ourselves before anything or anyone oh, because totally. we've been taught to like stiff up a lip or man up yeah. sometimes or put yourself together or you're or... being selfish or self-centered yeah exactly so we we believe here in the uk especially that self-care is selfish yeah which is why we don't put ourselves before anything or anyone and i know it's a massively overused mm-hmm. adage but that kind of airplane oxygen mask we need to put that on to be strong enough to be help other yeah, people totally. we need to go first um and we need to take that uh, mentality with however we're feeling. So whether it is anger, let it out. Just mm. do a boxer size class or, or go yeah. to a counseling session, but let it out. I think the worst thing we do is keep it in. I think that's the reason why that that's something that's really relevant in my world right now is because for many years I was I was just passively letting it in and pacifying everybody else. Mm. And then in terms of how your when when you went through the breakdown, how did it affect your relationships and even kind of the build-up before the breakdown because I presume that there was you know some sort of build-up in a sense um how how was your kind of relationships with friends and family and things affected around that time that's a really interesting one because even at that point I I was still very much putting everyone else first Mm. so to to a larger extent, actually, people have only really heard about this since I've been speaking about this oh, in, in wow. a way. Um, I mean, certainly along the journey, I've been trying to be inclusive. So um, kind of reaching out to, to people close to me and saying, look, if I ask you for reassurance on something once, answer me. If I ask you twice, ignore me. Um, yes. So actually, I bring them into my playbook my my kind of techniques I'm, i was building to to manage my stuff so yeah. i'll absolutely uh, bring them in on stuff um and there's certain things along the way that i've also decided um that kind of thing I've, i don't drink alcohol anymore yeah um and because again there's a social kind of stigma to that i guess yes. yeah there's a little bit of that still um 
uh, the, but other, other than that, I think certainly everyone's been really accepting of, of kind of where I am. Mm. But in the greater sense, actually, probably wrongly at the time, I would say that I just kept it, kept it to myself, really. Yeah, of course. And in terms of that stigma as well, do you still find that there are some people, even when you're speaking on a platform, do you still find that there are some people that, you know, feel sort of uneasy about it and they feel a little bit like, oh, I don't I don't know if I should be on board with this or because of the stigma? <laughs> I actually had this uh, on an event which will still remain nameless last night where somebody says, I don't believe in well-being. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and I've had that before. I don't believe in mental health, that kind of thing. And it's, I think it's, it's because mental health as a term gets a really bad rap. Yeah. Mental health is just a neutral state, like physical health. It, that's not a, a judgment of whether it's good or bad. It's just mental health. So if we need to reframe it, I think, I think mental health has got, I uh, said, so take that kind of taboo stigma away from the wording if your mental illness absolutely needs to be professionally treated, there's no two ways around it, but everybody, like everyone on the planet has mental health. Mm. Um, so if that's the case, why do we not view it like physical health and view it as a muscle, yeah. something that we can exercise and nurture and flourish and all these kind of different things every single day mm. to give ourselves every best chance of being smarter, stronger, happier, more successful by your own definition of those very subjective terms. Yeah. Um, and I think if we viewed it that way, we'll see it differently. We'll see it like going to a gym or going for a run, yes. but for our heads kind of Yeah, thing. and something that we can control and we can develop and we can work on, but we yeah, work absolutely. with it almost. You work absolutely. alongside it. So in terms of the, the high focus, um, are you still, you know, after your sort of breakdown and after this revelation, if you like, and... and, and going out and speaking about your story and doing all of this, do you find that you still live in the high kind of anxiety, high focus? Do you feel like it's still there? You're just aware of it and managing it more or? I would say, um, I would say largely I, I, I manage it effectively now. I, mm. I think, but again, I relate it exactly to energy. So, if, and I, you know, I'm not a details guy. I love simplicity. Yeah. <laughs> so, I tried to imagine, right, and like everybody else, I think it's a really good exercise. If you're a battery, are you 10 out of 10 fully charged or are you 1 out of 10 running on empty? Mm. Now, I know if I run below 3 out of 10, if I'm not doing the right things to protect my energy in any sense, then I am at risk of being highly anxious again. I am at risk, potentially, if I go to 1, of potentially even my obsessive compulsive traits coming back. So if I check something more than once and I'm in a really tired, stressed out mood, I need to stop. Otherwise, I will go back onto the, those kind of thought patterns. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I directly, what I try to do is directly link my energy to my mental state. So if I feel 10 out of 10, I feel absolutely bulletproof, confident. So that means that's the state I need to try and reach as close as I can to 10 out of 10 at the start of every day. Now, come 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whenever the last thing is, this is today, for example... I know my energy is going to be low, so yeah. I plan stuff around it. I don't plan any Zoom calls, any family quizzes, any yeah. business meetings, any... I just have my own time because, weirdly, given what I do as a speaker and as a coach, is I'm an introvert, but I recharge mm. in my own company. Mm. And that includes people that I live with. So after this, after today, there's a quiet, dark corner of the house I'll go and sit <laughs> in, listen to country music, recharge my batteries, so that actually tomorrow I can go again strong. Now... Yeah. Because I didn't know that before and I didn't do that before, you can quite easily see why people then start to run on empty. Yeah. And they get frazzled and they get 
angry and everything else. So no. if we start to directly up. related to a battery, we'll kind of get a better understanding about where we are. Totally, totally. And there is that thing of 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 we are our own worst critic and we, we want mm. to beat ourselves up and go, no, that's, you know, you, you shouldn't be um, feeling sorry for yourself and you shouldn't be doing this. Come on, pull yourself <laughs> together. Other people manage. There's people in worse situations than you. Come on, stop being stupid. <laughs> and we're so awful to ourselves how do you i mean that's not something that you can just click your fingers and go ah oh, okay i'll stop doing that but um how would you suggest that people kind of start to come to terms with going do you know what it's okay to do what's right for me and and to stop comparing yeah. themselves to other people okay there's a reason why racehorses wear blinkers they run their own race and that's mm. exactly what we need to do mm. we need to comparisons is a thief of joy perspective is irrational and what I mean by that is that I've been fortunate enough over the past 14 months to deliver five keynote talks to the NHS frontline and I've also donated my time to local residential homes to do zoom calls with them and everywhere in between so you've got people at two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of challenges mm. people right mm. out there doing stuff right now every day and you've got people that have been in, in isolation for a lot longer than the pandemic yeah, yeah. Um, and the rule of thumb for me is very simple. If something is causing you pain, if something is causing you frustration, you've got every single right to sort it out for yourself. Whether you think it's small or not, it doesn't matter what anybody else is experiencing or going through. We all have different tolerances. We have different sizes of stress bucket and everything else. So if something causes you pain, something causes you frustration, reach out for help. And actually, if you're not ready to make that final reach out for, for help in terms of therapy or just reach out to somebody that you trust and trust to support you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about this. But, <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> yeah, but um, but I am very aware of the time and, and I don't <laughs> want to make this podcast too long for our listeners. But what just to kind of wrap it up, what is the one bit of advice that if you could write it down and give your younger self pre-breakdown, what is the one bit of advice that you would give yourself? I would say is that the best is yet to come. I think, uh, and I think I still, I still maintain that. I mean, I've, I work in prisons. I, I work with people in hospitals and lots of different things where people think that they're done and, yes. and you're never, ever yeah. done. Not until the very last kind of call, you're never, ever done. Um, and for me, I think that's really the true impact of our experiences, whether they be mental illness or mental health or medical or physical, as you've been uh, really sharing with such graceful clarity over the over today and also last week's session mm, too mm. um and i think we need to know that i think the power is always in the comeback i think mm. we need there's certainly a place for acceptance that mm. as you said that we cannot we can only play with the the, the hand that life deals with us we cannot yeah. turn back time so everything that you've ever done everything you've ever said everyone you've ever been has led exactly to where you are right now but it still resonates with me that it's what you do next that counts. I love that. And and I'm sure that everyone's probably listening going, oh my gosh, I want to talk to Nick and I need to get onto his speaking academy uh, sessions and I want to write my own story. I need help. How do they, um, how do they reach out to you? Uh, nice and simple, just like me. Uh, NickElston.com, that's it. You can find everything about me on there. Um, please do reach out if you have any questions. I'm really happy to hear from you people. So.
I love that. I love that. And don't worry, I will pop the link directly in the description below so you can go straight there. Um, I highly recommend getting in touch with Nick. He is an incredible guy. And thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you for listening to another episode of Illness with Influence. If you love this episode, then why not share it with your friends and family, tagging myself at helena.m.mitchell so I can personally say thank you. And don't forget to check out our other episodes in this series or hop onto our private Facebook community group, Have a Cuppa Unmasked, for continued support from a community of like-minded people. But until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and remember... You are not alone.